sacrificial arrows section in the letter A. Um, I know the one save, once uh, one save, always save movement is uh, that's the that it's like on a rise and everyone's like it's just whole big wave. And I actually know a lot of people in it. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of scripture backing up that you know that's it's false, you know. But um, can you just shed light on assurance of salvation? Because I know um, some, I know verses, and I know some scripture that points to it. But can you just shine some light on it? Right. So the assurance of salvation isn't an abstract doctrinal reality. The assurance of salvation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. This is how, throughout the Book of Acts, they know that the Gentiles have been appointed unto repentance and eternal life because God gave him the same spirit he gave us. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit is the assurance of salvation unto the day of the Lord. And there is no assurance of salvation apart from perseverance of faith. And there's not like, for me that doesn't sound strange because I came to the Lord in a Methodist campus ministry. I went to the center of the free will universe, a Methodist, you know, an Arminian seminary. And I mean, I'm, you know, I appreciate the Reformed tradition, right? That's, I'm down with that. Like, I, I, man, the Reformed tradition is dead on, but you, you pervert that thing and you don't hedge that thing in with contingency on repentance and faith. That's disaster. And you, you doom people into the presumption upon the sacrifice. And so for me, like, you know, it's just kind of like, well, yeah, all the threatenings of hell throughout the New Testament are always aimed at believers. Always. Almost always. You know, obviously, like Revelation and stuff about Babylon, that's got towards unbelievers. But all the main ones, because they're all in the epistles that are talking to believers, Jesus, all of his parables and teachings, they're talking to his disciples and those who are following him. So they're all talking about perseverance and righteousness, repentance, working out your salvation with fear and trembling unto the day of Christ Jesus. So the whole once saved, always saved, it's not just a wave now, it's been waves and waves for generations here that I think is kind of, it's a derivative down the line of justification justification by faith alone, right? It's not justification by faith alone. It's justification by faith and producing fruit in keeping with repentance, which means you don't presume upon the sacrifice. That's what that phrase means. But it's funny because you know, a few weeks ago I got in, was in another context and the guy was you know, taught really hardcore, went to a Presbyterian Bible school and just really hardcore reformed and like it, they, it was troubling to him, and I was like, I was just sitting there going, I don't understand why this is troubling to you, you know. But it, it was just kind of one of those deals where I recognized, oh, I, I just haven't been indoctrinated in that, and that doesn't make any sense to me. It's, you know, Colossians one, we we were reconciled to him by the death of his physical body to be presented holy and blameless before his sight if we continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, right? Which means that there's other people who are being moved from that hope held out in the gospel, and they will not be presented with, before him without spot or blame. They will bear their own sin, you know? 
What's the fruit? Because people would say producing fruit is that, you know, be defined in all sorts of false righteousness things. Right. I mean, he, he's, you know, Paul's, Paul lays that out in various contexts, you know, especially in Galatians. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, the Holy Spirit leads us in faith. And who's bewitched you? Was not Christ clearly presented as crucified before your very eyes? How did you receive the Spirit? By faith or by works? Why did you start out by 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 faith and now you're by the Spirit? Now you're trying to finish according to human effort. And so this is his point, is the, the fruit of the Spirit that leads us into the knowledge of God and the revelation of the cross, the fruit of that Spirit is righteousness, peace, joy, kindness, mercy, gentleness. I don't have them all memorized. You know the list in Galatians 5. Like, this is how the Spirit is. And if you walk according to the Spirit and you listen to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you in these things and He will convict you of, of sin and unrighteousness and He will work in you kindness and peace and joy and these things. Right. Rather than rather just, just works. Right. And rather than... Yeah. And so obviously the works of the flesh are obvious. Anger, hatred, division, you know, drunkenness, these things. The problem comes in when there's the appearance of righteousness. But inwardly, there's all the dead men's bones, right? And so that's where you get the, the, uh, is, but mark this, 2 Timothy 2, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, their parents ungrateful and holy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutals, not brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, arrogant, lovers of pleasure rather than lover, lovers of God, right? Nothing in that list is of the outward pagan expression of the flesh, but it's all of the, what's he say, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them, right? So these, this is reference to the circumcision group in which it's, it's the inward stuff. Though you're whitewashed on the outside, inwardly you're filled with selfish ambition, greed. All these, the so like Matthew said, we say, you'll, know, you'll know them by their fruit. It's, talking about, it's always talking about the inward qualities. Right, right. And that word works like, I prophesy in your name and I do these things. Right, right. I think it's also important not to, I mean, because the scripture does say that, you know, that the signs will follow them. So, like, we can't just go so extreme. Like, it, it has to be, like, like the, there are, there is contingency in the word, but we can't just go so extreme. Like, everything, it starts on the inward, but then there are fruits that are, there are multiple fruits in it that express themselves on the outward side. And we can't just be like, okay, well, no signs and wonders, and signs and wonders always means this and this and this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. it's both. It's both. It's not one or the other. It's both. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're, we're just a little bit detached. We're a little bit down the road post-enlightenment where it's like anything miraculous is God. 
And to them, that wasn't the case at all. Like, you, you get this, like I've heard this in like charismatic circles sometimes where you get the picturing of the Pharisees as those who don't uh, like miracles and spiritual things. And it's like, no. They're the ones who believe in angels and miracles. You don't believe in it because it never happens. They're, they're driving out demons, clearly. Jesus says it. There's record of it in Acts 19. They're, they're uh, prophesying. Their miracles are happening. They're having dreams. Paul records it in Galatians 1 and Colossians 2. They're having, they're having all these things that are going on, and it's you know it's fairly clear in Matthew seven that that's who he's talking about is the Pharisees, but they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And so that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what it's cutting at is the is the inward approach to the law and how you. So we kind of you know we're in this strange myopic swirl in modern post enlightenment charismatic where it's just like anything that has any kind of power on it we're just like oh it's god you know and paul's like that that's not the that's not the you know the standard of truth and so you you get the strange reaction where people are like that's so obviously ridiculously false Therefore, they just shun all of it and shun anything to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, that thing's, that just produces dying people out in the desert eating snakes and scorpions. You know, I mean, that's like, that's almost worse than having the mana games going on and all the spoiled mana and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we want to, we want to hold to righteousness of heart, hold to the gospel and, Ask God to confirm it by signs and wonders, stretch out His hand to heal and, and uh, give confirmation to the gospel. That's why it's so damaging is when you have things that are miraculous but aren't the gospel. And that just leads to massive, unnecessary confusion and pain and difficulty. And it's like... But to clarify that you were speaking of those fruits being the fruit of a repentant heart Right. Um, that's that's the, the main thing. Right. Right. So how's Paul? You know, Paul says it. Okay. So chapter twelve, Second Corinthians. I I made fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How were you in? How were you inferior to the other church except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me of this. And then he goes on. So the context is you're being led astray from sincere and pure devotion to be presented before him as a, as a pure uh, a bride. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel, so it's the exact same thing as Galatians 1, same context, from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough, but I don't think that I'm least inferior to those super apostles. I may not have been a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way, you know. And then he goes on to say, look, I robbed from other churches so I could serve you, but they came to you and they took your money. And they, they, they put themselves forward and, 
and abuse you. For such men are false apostles, verse 13, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Christ. So the assumption is that they're doing signs and wonders too, and miracles are happening also, as he because he's justifying himself in chapter 12 with the marks of an apostle. <clears throat> and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of unrighteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. And then he goes on to talk about, look, I'm a fool, and in the self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would. And so, look, they're self-confident boasting. Let me go on boasting. Except they go on boasting as kings. I go on boasting in all my beatings and difficulties. And he goes on to, you know, list all those out at the end of the end of the chapter. He says, you put up, verse 20, with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we're too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. So it's the exact same thing as Philippians 3. They boast about these things. Okay, I can boast in it too, though I consider it rubbish, dung. What I boast in is, are they, are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk less. I'm more. I've worked harder. I've been more diligent. I have more reason to put confidence in the flesh than they do. But I don't put any confidence in the flesh, and I don't put myself forward in boastfulness like they do. And God has confirmed me as an apostle, just like he's confirmed them as an apostle. But the whole push is on the nature of what gospel are we preaching? What are we saying? So, the, I mean, this and this is the difficulty in the body of Christ. Like I said, you got people who are preaching the the promised land. You got people who are preaching the manna. You got people who are preaching the sacrifice. You know, and then the people who are preaching the sacrifice preach against the manna games because it's messed up, no doubt. You know what I mean? Like, but we can't. When you preach against the manna games, you can't say, don't go out and get manna. You know, we got to have, I mean, we can't get, th we need the Holy Spirit. Like that's, it's the gift of the Father to lead us into truth and righteousness and keep us. And so we got to be diligent. And I, I was, these things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. And so we have to, you know, this is over the years the Lord's just trained me in this where I'll just go into different contexts. I'll have seasons of of encounters and, and miracles and then it'll totally lift. I won't have anything. I'll have seasons where gifts are more or less. And I'm not I'm I'm a teacher by trade. That's my gifting calling. So I don't I don't try to step out of that. But the Lord's given me training in different areas and I'll go overseas and I'll be in India for three weeks and it doesn't matter who I pray for. I pray, they get healed. They give testimony. It all goes crazy. I come back to the States. I pray they don't get healed. And I'm just like, nothing changed in me. I have the same, I say the same thing. I pray the same way. I have the same faith. And it doesn't happen. You know? And then for like the last six months, we've had this thing. It doesn't matter if I pray for people. But every week, we gather everybody to pray for people that are sick in our midst. And they come back the next week and give testimony. I mean, just almost every time they're being healed. And I'm just like, well, and it's just kind of one of those seasons of training where the Lord's emphasizing, look, you gather together as a body, and I will choose to administrate grace through it. 
you do your, you know, you do your I'm anointed guy on your own and everybody gathered behind me and the team, like that, I'm not going to pour out anything. You know, and it's like, so we just, we say the same thing and we ask God to confirm it. And if he does, awesome. If he doesn't, not my problem. I'm not, you know what I mean? It takes, it's not that we don't press for it, it's that it takes the weight off of us when the Lord doesn't do it. And there's part, there's all kinds of dynamics going on about why when people don't get healed and why don't things happen. Sometimes it's, it's because of lack of faith on the people praying. Sometimes it's lack of faith on the people being prayed for. Sometimes it's just lack of faith in the situation in the community and Jesus couldn't do any miracles because they didn't believe he was who he was in Nazareth. And it's like post-enlightenment West, this is the general dominant lack of faith in anything miraculous. And it's like, I, that's not my fault. And I'm stuck in Nazareth and that's the way it is. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to keep pressing for seeing God confirming the gospel. You know what I'm saying? And we just walk according to the Holy Spirit and we ask those who have faith to be healed to step up, and we ask those who have faith to pray for healing to step up, and we ask God to give us, when the power of the Holy Spirit is present in our meetings, to pray for the sick and to do these things, and we press forward, and, you know, nothing in my life is perfect. It's all broken. You know what I mean? My house is broken. My kids are broken. My car is always broken. Everything's broken in my life, right? All the time, we're all like this, and it's so, like, we just do the same thing with the gospel pressing towards that day, and we receive what the Lord gives us, and and uh, we don't give up. I mean, there's probably not a person in this room who is not committed to willful sin. So is, is it the message is like, you got to repent of that. Well, we all know the cycle, right? We do something, it's a little fuzzy, or like, and go on, and it just kind of keeps coming back to our mind. That's not it. Now it'll cause more problems to bring it up and confess it. It'll cause more problems than it's worth. And it just kind of keeps coming up. It's like, And so you, we all know that game where it just kind of, and the Holy Spirit keeps tweaking on us and keeps tweaking on us. And, and we don't want to walk that line, right? Because we don't know where the line is, where the Lord chooses to harden the heart. And the Lord says, all right, I'll take that thing to judgment. You know, and all of a sudden we don't feel conviction on it anymore. And yeah, you're right. It's not that big deal. You just move on from it. And that thing, that's that's where the danger is, is when we move on from something a little shady. And so we just want to keep in our lives everything clean. You know, if you guys, I don't know if you know Tim Miller. Tim Miller's one of those guys that if you're around him for more than two days, he will apologize for doing something wrong. It, every time, I've never been around the man. I mean, like, it's always, hey, bro, I I, I just, I said that thing, and, and it was a little defiling, and I shouldn't have said it around you. And I'm like, whatever, I didn't even, never crossed my mind. But he's, you know what I mean? And it's just like that, we always just want to keep our lives clean, keep things square, keep 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 it contained and self-control and captive in here. And then when something happens, we just want to be quick to apologize. And we always want to, right? We're always in the wrong. Other people are in the wrong too, but we're always in the wrong. And we're not responsible for their wrong, all right? So we just, we take it up. We, I'm sorry for doing this. 
And and if they apologize, awesome. And there's reconciliation. If they're not, then I, you know that's your problem. I love you. Let's just move on. You know, and and we and so it, it's the only way to keep a marriage clean. It's the only way to keep friendships clean. It's the only way to keep a body clean. Is that we just walk way as far away from that line of of well maybe it's all right. You know and. I don't really need to deal with it or bring it up or whatever. So we're always that walking that line of intentionality, and that's how the even the sacrificial system. If anybody does anything that's against the law and then realizes it, he realizes his guilt, then it's assumed he repents of it. He offers a sacrifice for atonement of it. And it's the same way where there's there's never an option for us to to do blatantly pagan things. That, I mean, and even with like new believers where they just bring blatantly pagan things in and we don't just hammer down on them like the church did Bob Dylan, you know, that's why he went the way he did. We, we With grace, we, we take them in, we talk to them, we talk about the implications of what you're doing, this this habit you've carried in, this this thing affects other people and it's it's really not the Lord's will and and... and you know, if there's any way I can help you, but look at the ramifications. You just talk through it and disciple it. And if they, you know, choose that, no, I, I like that sin, right? I, I like doing this with my body or putting this in my body or, or saying these things or talking this way or relating this way or manipulating people or whatever, all these things. And I want to, you say, well, listen, you can continue doing that, but it's been explained to you. By a number of us, the implications of it, it's been you're choosing to do something that's sinful and, and they keep pressing on it. Then you say, all right, sharp dispute. You go your way. We'll go ours. But you can't come to my church anymore. So we've just had a situation like this where a brother, um, you know, he, he's had a history of just blowing up at people, blowing up at people. And and it was like, you know, we talked to him, we talked to him. It kind of came out that he doesn't have a father. This is the way his mother's always been. You know, he, she just blows up. And then the next day it's, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, brother, if I did what you did to that other brother the other day with my wife, one time, one time, our marriage would almost come to an end and it would take years to repair one time, I was like, "You cannot do this. You, you, you cannot relate." And then I don't hear from him. He doesn't apologize to the brother, and I have to say, "You, you, you can't come to my house. You can't come to the meeting now until you repent of this." Because he acknowledged it was wrong, but then he won't repent of it. And it's like, so you, we have to deal with this in our fellowships of just shepherding people and and mercy and and warning them and. Say calling sin because then you can. That's okay. So then that's where I struggle with the inner healing stuff. Is you, you guys bring up like the you know well this is this how I was raised and I got you know and I was acting out and I'm like no, you you sinned and you need to repent. And your parents are in the same place as you are as their as their parents as their parents and we got it from Adam. We're all in the same boat. Repent. Change your ways and move on. And if you won't, then we can't get along here. You know what I mean? And so 
but it's, I mean, I, I appreciate working through stuff and, and bringing stuff up because, you know, you, you need to know why you do stuff like this, but we, we need to, we need to be firm and put value on human beings and put boundaries up and say, we gotta love one another. This is how we walk in the Holy Spirit. This is how we love each other. This is how we walk in righteousness. And we keep the emphasis on that. So is this why a comedian's like supposed to do it, kind of center around it, and do this in remembrance of, I guess, both the sacrifice and, and the day that he comes to fill it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I and I think of you know this is when you get the second you get the First Corinthians eleven, and this is what we ought to be doing. Like this is what you know. If any of you uh, how's he saying First Corinthians eleven? If any of you has. That's why some of you are sick, because you're... Okay, sorry. But if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't come under judgment. We're judged by the Lord. We're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So, brothers, so then... So, so I think of like Ephesians 5. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right? So you're remembering communion, the sacrifice, the Passover, the and and therefore let us be towards one another as God was towards us, but among you. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ our God. Right? Which the assumption is no one who keeps on in these, who is deliberately these things, right? You're not those things if you hate them. You are those things if you enjoy them. And that's what you were. You've been washed. You've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. You've been set on a path towards the eternal kingdom. And now you are not those things. Though you have thoughts of greed, though you have thoughts of lust, though you have thoughts of unrighteousness, though you have thoughts of malice and anger towards people, that's not what you are. You know, you sit around with unbelievers, and what do they do in groups? They just sit there, rag on people. They just rah, 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 politics, rah, 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 work, rah, 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 and it's just like this. And they, they just feed on it, live on it, you know. And, and you, you, that is not what you are. You put that stuff off, you put on Christ Jesus, and you contain, you control yourself in light of the judgment to come, and you love one another. You put on love. You, you, you speak righteously to each other. You build each other off. You put off malice and anger and greed. You, you, you keep your eyes contained. You treat each other with respect and honor. You, you put off lust. You know, you walk in the things of the Holy Spirit in light of that. And, and that's how you, you know, you, you walk in the way of the cross and you love one another as God has loved us and you, and you're patient towards one another. But man, when it becomes clear, that somebody is willfully and they're walking in it, you warn them, you warn them, and you warn them because you want them to understand the severity that God is going to relate to them in in the day of the Lord, and you want to see them repent. So this is the kind of life we walk in and the tension of the sacrifice unto, unto the deliverance.